O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a shield around us. That you, Lord, are our glory. You uphold our honor. You are the one who lifts our heads. When our sin, when our failures, when our mistakes beat us down and leave us to hang our heads in shame, your word reminds us that there is no condemnation for those who belong to you. So, Father, I pray this morning that we would see clearly this picture of the one who is our shield, of the one who protects, of the one who sustains, of the one who causes us to lift up our heads. So, Father, would you speak to us this morning a word that will both edify your church and glorify your name. Sanctify us in the truth of your word because your word is truth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Psalm chapter 3 is where we're going to go uh, together this morning. If you're uh, new with us, you're visiting with us here for the first time, my name is Taylor and I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. And what we've been doing for the last few weeks as we kick off summer is uh, we're doing a short message series in the Psalms called The Songs of Jesus, where we're just taking a look at the selection of the Psalms. The Psalms are the Bible's hymnal. Uh, these are the songs, these are the prayers that have shaped the songs and the prayers of the church for generations. And so what we're doing for these first few weeks of summer is looking at a few different psalms, uh, seeing how it is they point us to Jesus Christ as we rest in these songs and we rest in these promises. When I was in fourth grade, I went to spend a little bit of time with my dad at his office one day after school, and he had to stay a little bit longer, a little bit later into the evening, and uh, I was bored, and the office next to his had a treadmill in it. So I was like, hey, Dad, uh, can I, my nine-year-old body full of energy, go run on the treadmill for a while? And he's like, hey, sure, that's fine. I've done this before. He said, just be careful. So if I remember correctly, this particular treadmill had speeds that went from like one to 20. And so I, I get started, you know, fairly low speed. I think I was around four or five and you know, I'm just jogging along and keeping up with that pretty well and then started to crank up the speed a little bit more and I'm jogging along and my dad every once in a while would pass by the door to this office and he'd poke in his head and see me running a little bit faster. He'd be like, hey, you need to be careful on this. And, and I'm like, whatever, I'm good. You know, I, I don't need to, I'm, I'm fast and I'm full of energy. I can handle this. And so this went on for, uh, for a little bit. And then eventually I just decided, I was like, you know what? I'm taking this thing all the way up. I, I've not experienced a real challenge yet. And so I cranked it all the way up to 20. And so my strategy, uh, the science of this felt very sound at nine years old. The strategy I had uh, was that I was going to crank it all the way up and then I pushed myself up on the handles and I would go ahead and start running. I'd get my feet going before I hit the treadmill so that I could just go ahead and hit it full speed. And so I tried this and as soon as my foot hit the treadmill, I went face first and it shot me into the wall directly behind me. 
And uh, knowing immediately that I was in trouble because I was uh, doing what I wasn't supposed to be doing, I was quickly trying to recover, but the treadmill had me pinned against the wall. And so it was just going and basically uh, skinning my knees all the way down to my shins. And this went on for five, 10 seconds. And finally, just involuntarily, I cried out, help. And as soon as I cried out the word, I heard my dad run from the office next. He comes in, he turns out the trouble. I mean, my knees were just, and, and my shins all the way down to my ankles, completely skinned. And I stand up and, you know, I'm crying, I'm in tears. And, and he kind of gets me under control and, and helps me get things a little bit cleaned up. And he says, well, did you learn your lesson? I'm like, yes, I believe I've gotten the memo uh, at, at this point in time. And you know, sometimes when it comes to prayer, all we can do is muster up the strength to basically tell the Lord that we've gotten ourselves into a mess. Sometimes we, we might only have the strength to come to the Lord simply crying out, help. And Psalm 3 is the prayer of a man who's gotten himself into a mess. If you're looking in your Bible, it, it may be a little bit like mine, where we see that Psalm 3 is the first psalm that really gives us any specific type of heading. And, and what my Bible says, your might say, yours might say something similar, is that this is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. We know from scripture that David was the most famous of all of Israel's kings. It was promised that the Messiah, uh, Jesus, would one day descend from the line of David, from all of the kings of David. And while David is known to us in scripture as a man after God's own heart, we also know from scripture that he was deeply flawed. We see David's adultery that he commits with Bathsheba. And then in an effort to cover up his adultery, he has her husband Uriah put to death. And so even though David is a man after God's own heart, we see that he is deeply flawed, that he does some deeply sinful and concerning things. And David's sin oftentimes touches his own household. And so here's a little bit of the context from 2 Samuel chapter 7 that tells us a little bit of the story of what was happening while David was writing this particular psalm. 2 Samuel 7 tells us that Absalom had a sister named Tamar. And uh, Absalom's sister Tamar was sexually abused by their half-brother Amnon, who was also a son of David. And David never properly addresses this. He allows this sin to really fester within his home. He never confronts his son uh, the way that he should have. And so David passively ignores the sins of, Ab of Amnon. So Absalom takes matters into his own hands and he rises up and he kills Amnon. And so this continues to go over time. David continues to leave this sin unchecked, unaddressed, and eventually gets to the place where David's son Absalom uh, secretly works behind the scenes to try to subvert his kingdom. He stages a coup and he tries to take his father's throne. And so by the time David writes Psalm chapter three, he is on the run for his life from his own son who wants to kill him and steal his throne. You thought your family was crazy. I mean, that would make Jerry Springer blush. And this is this, what we see so un unfold so often in the Old Testament is, is these messy stories with very messy people. And so David is very much in a situation that in many ways is the result of his own doing. He, he failed to address the sins of his own household. He failed to address what was happening right underneath his nose. And as a result, he's experiencing the consequences of his sin. And he finds himself on the run. Psalm 3 is a psalm of a man who has gotten himself into a mess, and he cries out to the Lord for help. But the promise that we see in Scripture this morning is that even when, as the result of our own failure, as the result of our own sin, as the result of our own shortcomings, even in these moments, we can cry out to the Lord. And what we see this morning in Psalm 3 is that the Lord is a shield for the helpless and vulnerable, and he will rise up and save those who call on his name. So from Psalm chapter 3, let's read again verses 1 and 2. David says, O Lord, how many are my foes? 
Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So this psalm just begins very simply with David broken over his circumstances. There's not a whole lot that's fancy about what David does in these first couple of verses. It's just laying out before the Lord, this is what I'm going through right now. So we see him raising his voice, Lord, many are my foes, many are my enemies, many are saying of me, there is no salvation for him and God. He's just grieving and lamenting his circumstances and laying this mess out before the Lord. So his enemies have multiplied, friends have turned their backs on him, and worst of all, they're mocking him and trying to cause him to doubt his salvation. They want him to doubt his faith. They want him to believe that the Lord has abandoned him and forsaken him and forgotten him. And so David is having to face the consequences of his actions head on in the most difficult of ways. So in verses one and two, he's just pouring out his heart before the Lord. But even as David laments where he is, he reminds us of who God is. This is what he says in verse three. But you, O Lord, are a shield. Everyone say shield. You are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So we see first this morning that when we are helpless, we have a shield. When we are helpless, we have a shield. David's enemies are saying in verse 2, there is no salvation for him and God. These are the lies that they're pouring on him. Now, I want you to turn with me in your Bible for just a moment to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, 2 Samuel 16, and we're going to read together verses 5 through 8, because what we see in this passage is what David's enemies were saying to him and saying about him when he was in the circumstances uh, from which this psalm was born. So 2 Samuel 16 and verses 5 through 8. It says, When King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Pay attention to this verse 8. He says, the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you for you are a man of blood. So this is what David's enemies are saying about him. These are the lies that they're pouring on top of him. The Lord has abandoned you. The Lord has forgotten you. The Lord is taking your throne from you because of your sins, because of your actions, because of your mistakes. All of this is now coming down on your head. And these are the words that David's hearing. These are the things he's talking about in verses one and two that his enemies are saying about him. And so David laments and grieves and mourns his circumstances. Lord, this is what's happening. But then he boldly professes his faith. But you, O Lord, are a shield. Everyone say shield. You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. He says in verse four, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy healed. Lord, you're a shield about me. Shield is for our defense. A shield is for cover. A shield is for protection from the work and from the threats and from the weapons of the enemy. If you've, uh, you've probably seen this in a movie or in a TV show, if you look, and there, there is some historical precedent to this. When you study pre-modern warfare, you'll often see formations called a shield wall. 
this could take a number of different forms. It might uh, look like a battle line that's drawn where uh, the guys up front are holding a tall shield that's maybe five or six feet, and they're using those shields. They're stacking them together side by side to either stop the advance of the enemy or to be able to move forward against the enemy as one cohesive unit. You see this as you study Roman military tactics. They would develop these 360 shield walls where the guys up front would have their shields and the ones behind would cover their heads, and then they would create these 360 dome-looking formations where they could move forward. And that's the picture that we get of the Lord. Except that when we as followers of Christ are given a shield, we're not given a, a wooden shield, we're not given a metal shield, we're not given a bronze shield. The Lord is our shield. The almighty, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God of the universe, this is the one who serves as our shield. And through our faith in Jesus Christ, he is the one who has covered us. When we were exposed, when we were helpless, when we were vulnerable, when the arrows of the enemy were preparing to rain down upon us, it was Jesus Christ himself who covered us and absorbed the punishment that we deserved. The Lord is our shield. David says that he is our glory. He's the one who upholds our honor. He's the one who ensures that we will not be put to shame. This is Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's the message of the gospel in one sentence, that Jesus became sin, who knew no sin, so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. We have been covered by him. He's our glory. He upholds our honor. He removes our guilt. He removes our shame. And he's the lifter of our heads. Because when sin has beaten us down, when we failed again, when we've stumbled again, when we've fallen again, when we've gone against the word of God again, when we've broken the promise of the Lord for the thousandth time again, the natural response is to hang our heads in shame. David goes on to write in Psalm chapter 32 of the Lord, he says, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. When we're surrounded by the lies of the enemy, it's the Lord who's surrounding us with a shout and causing us to lift up our heads. Uh, earlier this year, I coached... Um, our eight-year-old son, Gideon's baseball team. And uh, man, we were so proud of this team throughout the course of the season because beginning of the season, most of our kids had really never played before. A few of them had maybe one season of t-ball under their belt from a couple of years ago, but then they'd pretty much lost the season last year because of COVID. I know Gideon only got in a couple of practices. And so uh, season started out a little bit rocky, a little bit rough. And, and, and so, you know, we just progressively though watched these guys get better and better every single week to the point that Gideon's team actually made the championship game at the end of the season. And man, we, we were so pumped because these little guys are like the bad news bears, right? Like they started out beginning of the season. You're like, man, where is this going to go? Uh, I'm totally regretting coaching this because I'm going to look like a failure. Uh, they made me look good by the end of the season. They got better and better and better. And, and so we get to the championship game and we were so excited to be there. And we were leading in the championship game until the final inning. There's two outs. And then the other team went on like a six run rally and our little guys lost the game. And man, they were so disappointed. You could see them as they're coming out of the dugout because they knew they were so close to winning the championship. They've got their heads down. And so what are we as coaches doing? What are the parents doing? We're surrounding them with a shout. And what are we telling them? Lift up your head. Lift up your head. You, you Listen, look, look at the work that you've done. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Men, that's so hard to do when they're watching the other team celebrate and run their victory lap and knowing that they were so close. But church, when we've fallen into sin, this is what the Lord does for us. As we hang our heads in guilt, as we hang our heads in shame, as we hang our heads over the fact that we have failed again and again and again. We don't have a father who's looking at us saying, yeah, you better keep your head down. 
No, he's our glory. He lifts up our head and he surrounds us with a shout of deliverance. He reminds us that he's our shield, that he is covering us from the lies of the enemy and he surrounds us with a shout. David goes on in uh, the next couple of verses, verses five and six, to say this, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So when we are helpless, we have a shield. And second, we have a sustainer. We'll just have one who protects us. We have one who's going to carry us and he's going to see us through. So again, just follow with me here for a moment. David is on the run from his enemies. His family is falling apart. He's dealing with the natural consequences of his sin. His own son wants to put him to death. He's trying to, to usurp his throne and take it from him by leading a coup that is thrones in jeopardy. And what does David do in the middle of all of this? He lies down and what's he do? That was like the interactive portion of the program. Yeah. Rain's putting us to sleep this morning. What, is, what does David do? He lies down and he sleeps. What all of us want to do right now. Rain makes for a good nap. He lies down and he sleeps. He sleeps. And, and this is amazing that, that David, in the midst of everything that's going on, knowing that there is, is a company that surrounds him who wants to take his life, knowing that his home is falling apart, his family is falling apart, that his own son wants to kill him, that his throne is in jeopardy, he still lies down and he sleeps. Tim Keller has commented on this passage. He said that in this prayer, David realizes that neither his son's love or popular acclaim can serve as a person's worth or security. David relocates his glory and hope to God and finds peace despite danger. God is the only one who sustains you, whether an army is pursuing you or you are at home in your own bed. God sustains every breath that you take. It's not that the Lord was taking him around his circumstances. Understand, I think sometimes what we uh, fall into, a mistake that we make, is we think that faith means denying the reality of our circumstances. Faith means just pretending like, nope, everything's okay. I'm not going to worry about this. It's not going to be a problem. Everything's all right. Just kind of put on a face and power through things. And that's not what David's doing here. I mean, verses one and two, he lays it out before the Lord. I'm in a mess right now. And he knows that this mess in many ways is the result of his own doing. These are the consequences of his failure. These are the consequences of his actions. But the Lord in this moment does not turn his back to David. He hears him. And oftentimes I think what the enemy wants us to believe when we have fallen into sin for the thousandth time is to believe this time you've gone too far. That's what David's enemies are doing. This is the result of your sinful actions. This is the result of your sinful consequences. God has left you. God has abandoned you. He is no longer with you. He has forsaken you and turned your back on you. And the Lord's not taking him around the difficulty. The Lord is taking him through it. Faith is not about denying the reality of our circumstances, church. It's about acknowledging the presence of Christ. And because here's the reality, is, is that sometimes we do pray, sometimes we do cry out, and it feels like silence in return. The promise for the follower of Jesus is that Christ never leaves you or forsakes you. So church, do not mistake the Father's silence for his absence. He goes through with us. You know, what I've found in my own circumstances of difficulty and suffering and pain, our family's own experiences of difficulty and suffering and pain. I think about you know, losing my dad uh, 10 years ago this year, very unexpectedly. And you guys that know our story, um, Emily and I, we, uh, we walked through multiple miscarriages together early in our marriage. And uh, believe it or not, I forgot to tell the first service group this, but 
If you didn't know that song we just sang, Your Love Is All We Need, um, a few moments ago, Grayson actually wrote that really for us during that time. Uh, and and that's, that, that was a song that we just clung to, that the Lord sustained us and, and carried us through. And what I have found oftentimes in my own moments of suffering is I'm not so much looking for an answer as much as I'm looking for someone who is with me, who knows what I've experienced, who knows what I've gone through, who understands and can empathize with my pain. And that is what we have in Jesus Christ is one who has suffered. We have a father who knows what it's like to lose a child. We have a son who knows what it's like to suffer and to suffer unjustly at the hands of sinners. And he empathizes with us. He's with us and he carries us through in our deepest and darkest moments. He will sustain us through the end. Um, last Sunday before, uh, our, before the sermon at all three services, we prayed for the Feltner family, Kevin and Ellie and their little boy crew. Um, uh, if you didn't hear this story last week, uh, Kevin and Ellie are part of our church family and uh, their eight-month-old son crew a couple of weeks ago was diagnosed with a very rare form of infant leukemia. And so this past week, I got to go up to MUSC and spend a couple of hours with them in their room and, and just encourage them and take some gifts that had been sent with me from our congregation. And, and man, it, it just amazed me through the course of our conversation. While they certainly acknowledged the challenges of their circumstances, I mean, some, some deep things that they've wrestled with and uh, that are related to their faith and, Lord, why is this happening? All of that has been there, but it just amazed me over and over and over again to hear them talk about how confident they are in the Lord. We trust that God is sovereign. We trust that God is in control. We trust that God has a greater plan than what we're seeing right now, that he's somehow going to be able to use this for his glory. They're wearing these wristbands around their wrists. Some of you, I think, maybe have them, and I've seen a few others in the community wear them. Three words on this wristband. God's got this. He sustains us. He carries us through. No, I don't know if you're like me. I would be willing to bet that I'm not alone in this. Is Many times at night, uh, I get to the end of the evening, and I'm, I'm worn out by the challenges of the day. Know that I need to sleep, but, but what do we do when we most need to sleep? We grab our phones, and we scroll them for like 20 or 30 minutes, regretting it each step of the way, right? We're like, this is such a bad decision. I'm going to regret this eight hours from now. I'm going to wish I'd slept for 30 more minutes. I'm going to hit my snooze button three times tomorrow morning because of what I'm doing right now, and yet I'm still going to do this. And oftentimes, we're, we're, we're inviting through these screens more anxiety, more anger, more frustration, all of the things we shouldn't be doing right before we fall asleep. We're like, you know what? I'm going to let that sleep right next to my bed. And it's going to be the last thing I look at before I go to sleep. It's going to be the first thing I look at when I get up in the morning. And we do this oftentimes to numb ourselves to the more challenging realities of our lives. And here's David in the midst of trouble, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the storm. He lies down and he sleeps. This is the confidence of a man who, uh, confidence of a man who has fully entrusted himself to the Lord. I shared this with you, I think, last year, but these words just came to my mind again as I was preparing this message a couple weeks ago. Famous words from Victor Hugo: "Have courage for the great sorrows in life, and patience for the small ones. And when you have laboriously accomplished your daily tasks, go to sleep in peace. God is awake." I'll rest in that this morning. You can sleep because He doesn't. You can rest because he doesn't. Church, you can be weak because he's strong. Go to sleep in peace because God is awake. So when the voice of the enemy surrounds, we can trust the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps will sustain our every breath. So David professes his faith and then listen to how he calls out to the Lord here, verses seven and eight. Arise, O Lord, Save me, O oh my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on 
your people. So when we're hopeless, we have a shield, we have a sustainer. Last this morning, we have a savior. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So just follow the progression of David's prayer here. It starts just four sentences. It doesn't make a big long show of it, just four sentences. Lord, this is what I'm going through. Many surround me. Many enemies are against me. Many are saying of me, there's no salvation for him and God. Getting him to doubt his faith. Getting him to doubt his salvation. Getting him to doubt that he can trust the Lord. Lord, that's what's going on. And, and that's really the, the best way to lead our prayers when we're in the mess. It just meant just jump right into it. Don't, don't give a 30-minute introduction. Sometimes all you can eke out is the one word, Lord, help. Even if we've gotten ourselves into the mess, even if this is the result of our own actions, we just cry out to the Lord, the simplicity, Lord, this is where I am. This is what I'm going through. Trusting our God can handle this. You know, sometimes I, I think one of the lies of the enemy that we believe is, is listening to the lie that, that if, if we lay out our hearts and we really lay them bare before the Lord, that he's somehow going to be offended by that. Guys, he can handle it. But this is why I challenge you week in, week out. Man, read the Psalms. Familiarize yourself with the Psalms. Be prepared to pray the Psalms. You, you read the Psalms and you would almost think that David was legitimately schizophrenic. Because in one psalm, he's like, Lord, I love you. You're the best. I love your word. I want to praise you and your people. The next psalm, he's like, God hates me. Life is terrible. Not going to make it. Going to go jump off a cliff. I mean, like, this is just David. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm mourning and grieving over my own life. I mean, it just goes back and forth. And he is just so raw and vulnerable. The Lord can handle this. He knows what we're going through. I think sometimes we forget our God is a father. He loves his children. Parents, we want our kids to tell us what's going on, right? We want them to be honest. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? The Lord invites this. So David starts with just lamenting his circumstances. But then he professes his faith in the Lord. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Yeah, this is my mess, but you're a shield. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. You will not allow me to be put to shame. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to wake up again because you are the one who's going to sustain me. You're the one who's going to carry me. And then he cries out to the Lord, save me. Rise up and save me, O oh God. He reminds himself of the work that the Lord has done. We have a Savior. And I, I love the language that David uses here in Psalm chapter 3 because this is language that, that I think we need to recover as a people. Verse 7, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Man, that's a picture of Jesus we don't think about a whole lot, right? I mean, he is certainly gentle and lowly. He is meek and mild, but one day, church, he's going to return, and the next time he comes, it's with a sword strapped to his thigh. And he's bringing an end to the wickedness. He's bringing a total end to all of the brokenness of this world. And the work that he has done is to break the teeth of the wicked. Yes, the enemy is going to breathe out his lies. He wants you to believe that you're too far gone, that you've sinned one too many times, that you are outside of the grace of God, that he has abandoned you, that he has forsaken you, that there is no salvation for your soul. Church, remember, every lie that the enemy breathes out, he does with a crushed and broken jaw. This all points back to the, the first gospel that we find in Genesis chapter 3. The first proclamation of the gospel in Genesis 3, it's known to us as the proto-euangelion, the first gospel where God himself pronounces that one day a son of man, that the seed of the woman, a man, would come and he would crush the head of the serpent. And this is what David's alluding to in Psalm 3. 
He's reminding us of this work. This is before Jesus has even gone to the cross. But that death sentence was proclaimed by the Lord in eternity past, proclaimed first in Genesis 3. The enemy's head is going to be crushed. Every lie he speaks, he's doing it with a broken jaw. We need to have this picture of God. And and here's why I think we need this, because I believe we have very much lost a picture of a God who will truly one day rise up against his enemies, of a God who has truly defeated sin and death and hell in the grave. You know, we quoted uh, this this morning from Proverbs 29. I think one of the most misquoted verses maybe in the whole Bible. We tend to quote it as where there is no vision, the people perish. And you'll see and hear sometimes even in churches, we'll say, see, so people need direction. People need clarity. We need things like mission statements. That is all well and good. But again, the, the, the passage actually says where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish. That is where there is no vision of God, the people perish. And, and the reason I think we can see clearly that we've lost this, man, look at everything that's unfolded in our nation in the last 12, 18 months. Christians have proven we're really no different. We freak out with the news cycles. I mean, we just melt down. It's ridiculous. It's, it's completely ridiculous. It reflects no faith, no trust whatsoever in a sovereign God who is providentially ruling and controlling and directing all things. It just reflects no trust and confidence in this. It's like we really feel like God, like we act sometimes as if God somehow thinks his throne is in jeopardy. Like he's freaking out based on who's sitting in the White House for the next four years or what piece of legislation gets passed. Have we forgotten that Christ conquered the grave? Have we forgotten that he literally died and then came back? You think he's threatened by what's happening in our world? Like we need to rise up and defend him. He is perfectly capable of defending himself. And we just have such little confidence in him as a people. We need to remember the God who crushes the teeth of the wicked. We see it elsewhere in the Psalms, how the nations rage and the people's plot in vain. And what is the Lord sitting in the heaven doing? Laughing. That's cute that you think you're moving against me. That's cute that you think you're ahead of me, that you're somehow putting my throne in threat, in jeopardy. He is threatened by nothing that unfolds in this world. He crushes the teeth of the wicked. We need to remember this, and we need this picture of God, because when the enemy has crushed your heart, you need to remember the one who has crushed the enemy's head. When the world overcomes you, you need to remember the one who has overcome the world, and this is what we have in Christ. So we cry out to him, rise up, O God. Save me, deliver me, bring me out of this, draw me out of this. Trusting in confidence that he hears us, that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. So so what do we do with this here this morning? I think it's pretty simple. David has provided for us in Psalm 3, really a template of how we should pray when we're in a mess. He he lays it out very, very simply for us. Again, look in verses 1 and 2. There's nothing magical about what he does. Sometimes, you know, I think one of the biggest barriers to our prayer life is we're so worried about how we sound. We're so worried about what we're saying and how we're saying it. We just forget sometimes the simplicity of prayer. Listen, David starts out here, just lay it out before the Lord. He starts it out with the simple word, help. Arise, Lord. This is what's going on. This is what I'm experiencing. This is who's surrounding me. This is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm going through. He just lays his heart bare before the Lord. And so that, that's what we're going to do here in just a moment is, is we're going to just follow this. We're going to, as David did, we're going to raise our lament. Man, here in the West, we have such a weak understanding of lament in prayer. Such a weak understanding. 
we think ourselves so strong, so powerful, so self-sufficient. We're Americans, right? Back-to-back World War champs. Ain't nobody going to help us with anything. And we struggle so much to admit our weakness. We struggle to raise our voices, to cry out for help, to, to truly feel the weight of our circumstances. And so we, we raise our, our lament, but then after this, we profess our faith. We lay it out before the Lord. Lord, this is the mess. This is what I'm going through. This is what's happening in my marriage. This is what's happening in my family. This is what's happening with my kids. This is what's going on in my heart. These are the lies that I'm hearing. These are the lies that I'm believing. This is the sin that's overwhelming. This is what I feel like I can't escape. We just lay it bare before the Lord. Honesty, transparency, vulnerability. It's hard for us to do. But, but listen, just because we withhold these things from the Lord doesn't mean he doesn't know what's going on. He's a good and he's a loving father. He wants us to lay these things before him. Lament over what's happening in our world. Don't deny the realities of, of the brokenness of this world. Again, we're not going to live with our heads buried in the sand. We raise that before the Lord. We cry out to the Lord. We lament our circumstances, but then we profess faith in him. But you, O oh Lord, you're a shield about me. You are my glory. You will not allow me to be put to shame. You are my honor. You are the lifter of my head. I'm going to lay down and I'm going to sleep because you're awake. Trusting that you're there. You're going to sustain me through the night. And last, we call on his name. In light of that profession, in light of who he is, in light of what he does, we call on his name. Rise up, O Lord, and save me. The lies are many. The enemy surrounds. I am overwhelmed. I'm crying out to you. Will you hear my prayer and save? And so that's what we're going to do here for just a moment. I just want to encourage you to bow your heads as we close our time together. We're just going to follow the framework that has been given to us here in Psalm 3. And the first thing we're going to do is to raise our lament. So I'm just going to prompt this for you. And then I'm going to leave it for just a few moments for you to do business with the Lord. What is burdening you this morning? Just lay out your circumstances. Lord, here's what's happening in my marriage. It's a mess and I don't know if we're going to make it. Lord, here's what's happening in my home. I'm overwhelmed. Lord, here's what's happening with my kids. They've drifted from you. They're not walking with you. And my heart hurts. Here's what's happening at work. Here's what's happening with our finances. Here's what's happening in this world. And I'm grieved over it. Take a moment and lift that to the Lord. Raise your laments. Raise your cry to him. Just tell him what's going on. Now what we're going to do is we're going to profess our faith in him. And we're just going to use the word of God to do this. Again, I've, I've encouraged you these last few weeks, learn to pray the Psalms. And that's what we're going to do right now. 
is we're just going to pray the Word of God as it's been given to us. We're going to profess our faith by praying the Word of God. So I'm going to read one line at a time from verses 3 through 6. And I'm going to invite you to repeat these lines out loud. David says, I cried aloud to the Lord. And so I'm going to read one line at a time, and I'm just going to ask you to repeat that line out loud so so that we can hear these words together, praying these words over one another uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, over our lives, over our families' lives. As we've lamented our circumstances, let's now profess our faith. Just repeat these after me one line at a time. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cry aloud to you. Answer me from your holy hill. I will lay down and sleep. I will awake again for you will sustain me. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And so now we're going to call on his name. We're going to call on his name. And so same thing from verses 7 and 8. I'm going to repeat. I'm going to read one line, and then you repeat those words with me. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to you. Your blessing be on your people. So Lord, in your mercy, will you hear our prayer? So church family, what we're going to do now is prepare our hearts and minds to come to the table for communion. The Apostle Paul encourages us we should never come to the table lightly, uh, that we should always do this through introspection and evaluation of what's happening in our hearts. And so I just encourage you to keep your heads bowed with me here for just a moment. Let's enter into a moment of confession. What sins do you carry into this room today? Or, and what, what sins carry do you into this room today? The Lord is omniscient. He's all-knowing. There's nothing we can tell him that he doesn't already know. So what words, what actions, what thoughts what motives, what desires, what habits, what behaviors, what is in you that is not of Christ? What is unholy, what is unrighteous within us? Let's lay that now at the feet of Jesus. Let's confess our sin. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he is just. He will forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So let's ask the Lord to grant us a heart of true and genuine repentance. This is more than just feeling guilt over our sin or feeling conviction over our sin or feeling sorry about our sin. 
This is expressing a desire to turn from our sin. And ask him that by his Holy Spirit, we would put to death the deeds of our body, the deeds of our flesh, and run to Christ and turn to him away from our sin. So, Father, we thank you that in your kindness you lead us to repentance. As we come to the table this morning, help us to see once again the victory of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his broken body and his shed blood on our behalf on the cross. We thank you that he has covered us with his life as a shield that he took the punishment and death that we deserve so that we could be raised to new life and to walk free in his name. So as we come to the table, Lord, this morning, be glorified in our partaking, be glorified in our singing, be glorified in the praises of your people. May it all be a sweet fragrance and aroma to you. Father, I ask this morning for my brothers and sisters here, would you comfort the hearts of those who grieve? comfort the hearts of those who mourn, comfort the hearts of those who lament with the promise that you are with us. You sustain us through the trial, through the storm. You are our Savior. You are our shield. Help us to cling to those promises this morning. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen.